in many ways, we are all much more alike than we know. And when I say all, I mean saved and unsaved, man and woman, rich and poor, that we ultimately all long for one thing. We might not know it, but every single one of us are longing for one thing. This morning, with God's help, that's what I want to preach on, the one thing that we all long for. In this text, I want to give you like a quick two-minute background. I think it's important that you understand the scriptures and, and where they're coming from. In Psalm 42, King David has been exiled. Most people believe, including myself, that this psalm was written after King David had been exiled. If you know the story of King David, King David's son, Absalom, turned against his own dad. And Absalom convinced a significant portion of Israel to overthrow King David. King David gets wind of it, and the people that are behind King David say, what do you want to do? You want to go to war? Here's what David basically says, how could I kill my own son? No, we're not going to war. We're going to retreat. We're going to give up Jerusalem. We're going to give up the king's palace. Pack it up and go. And so David and his followers and supporters leave Jerusalem and they leave the kingdom. And David had some people that were priests, part of the Levitical priesthood, whose primary object or primary job was worship. They led the people of God in worship. They wrote songs. And so the sons of Korah, or yeah, the sons of, what are they called here? Yeah, the sons of Korah are most likely these Levitical priests who wrote songs of worship. And they wrote Psalm, one of them wrote Psalm 42. And when you read down through the rest of the Psalm, you find out that ultimately, They're writing about wanting to go back to Jerusalem, back to the king's palace, and back to the tabernacle ultimately, or the place of worship where they could worship God, that he longed to get back there. So that's what the psalm is about, but notice he gives no, uh, he, he leaves no room for any confusion. It's not just that he wants to get back to Jerusalem. It's not just that he wants to see the religious services start back up. He longs for the living God. He says, this is what my soul thirsts for. And he says, my soul thirsts for the living God like the deer that is panting, thirst for water. It's interesting when we study the scriptures that repeatedly God points to his creation to teach us something about our relationship with God. Sometimes God points to the eagle. Sometimes he points to the lion. Jesus even used the analogy of a mother hen trying to bring her chicks under her wing. And here... 
God points to the deer that is panting for the water brook to teach us something about our own souls. This morning, I want us to look at that. We're going to look at three similarities between the deer panting for water and the man who longs for God. Number one, the first thing I want you to note this morning is that inside each of us, there is a thirst that drives us. Inside of every human being, there is an inner thirst that drives us in an attempt to quench that thirst. And I'm going to deal with this here later in the message. Many people don't know what that thirst is, and so they're trying to quench that thirst at the wrong well, but all of us have an instinctive thirst inside of the soul that needs to be quenched. What makes a deer go to water? Ultimately, it's thirst. But what are some of the things that can drive thirst inside of a deer? One of the things that will make a deer go to water is simply being overheated. A deer is an animal that cannot cool itself. If you don't know what that means, it can't sweat. Humans are capable of cooling ourselves. Deers are not. So a deer, when it's, when it's starting to overheat, will try to find water to cool itself. Something else that will cause a deer to go to the water is when it feels that it's being chased, it will go through the water in hopes of losing whatever it thinks is chasing it. It will go for safety. It will go to cleanse itself and restore its ability to smell. A deer will also go to the water or look for water when it has been attacked in a way that draws blood for the same purpose of trying to get into the water and hopefully lose this enemy that is tracking it so that it can find safety. I want you to picture this morning a deer that has experienced all of the above and is panting for the water brooks as if it must find water or die. I believe with all of my heart that this is the imagery that Psalm 42 is pointing because it it insinuates that everybody would know what a deer panting for the water looks like. It's not just a deer that's breathing a little hard because it got done with a run. This is a deer that clearly must find water or die. And God says, so it is with the human soul. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for the living God. Number two this morning. Note that there is a specific object that we search for to quench our thirst. The deer longs for water. The deer knows what it is after. It knows what he needs. There is no question for the deer concerning what he must find or eventually die. There is nothing that is more sad than the human soul that is thirsty and yet does not know what it is thirsty for. I spent 20 years of my life thirsting for the living God, but having no idea what I was really thirsting for. 
you will find that people will look for everything possible to quench thirst of the soul. And every time it leaves us empty. It might be fame, it might be friends, it might be popularity, it might be wealth, it might be lust. I tried it all. I found that it left me empty. I was still thirsty. I was still hungry. Drugs, alcohol, you name it. There are so many things that people chase after thinking that somehow it will quench the thirst of the soul. But I found for me that no matter how much I drank, no matter how much I consumed, I was still empty. It never helped answer the question of why am I here? What is my purpose in life? What is all of this about? Why should I even live? What is the meaning of it all? Nothing could ever satisfy this thirst in my soul. And it will neither satisfy yours or anybody else's. There is an object that we thirst for. And the psalmist leaves us no question. The object of thirst for the soul is the living God. Note, he does not long for royalty he does not long for wealth. He does not long for anything of the sort. He longs for one thing, and that is the living God. Even in the verses that follow. Yeah, I've already told you. In the verses that follow, he's like, I want to get back to Jerusalem. I want to go back into the house of God to worship God. But he makes it clear it's not about those things. It's ultimately about the living God. I'm going to tell you something. Even church will never satisfy your soul. There are so many Christians who are truly dissatisfied in their faith because they are looking to the things of God to satisfy the longing of their soul. Church will never satisfy the longing of your soul. Preaching will never satisfy the longing of your soul. Serving and doing missions and going and doing this and helping here and helping there. These things are not bad. I think we should be a church. The Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But listen to me clearly this morning and listen carefully. The things of God will never satisfy the longing of your soul. We must go beyond religious surfaces and religious activities and realize that only God himself can truly satisfy the longing of your soul. You were created, the Bible says, by him and for him. You are created to know God, to have a relationship with God. And I've heard it so many times from people that they're like, well, I tried church. It didn't work. You better believe it didn't work. Church was never supposed to work. Church is the lesser thing. If you don't find God in church, if God is not the ultimate aim if knowing Him and Him above all else is not the ultimate aim, 
church will become nothing more than a religious ceremony that absolutely will not, in any case, ever satisfy the longing of your soul. We must understand the object of our thirst. Religious ordinances cannot comfort. We must have the living God. It is a thirst that only God can quench. It is a hunger that only God can satisfy. I think it's reasonable if, 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 we're, all, if we're correct that this particular psalm was written while David and his men were in exile. It's reasonable to assume or conclude that sometimes God uses affliction to awaken us to our need for him. But sometimes God literally has to take away these comforts at times that we are looking to to provide meaning and make life seem like it's great. God strips those from us at times and leads us into affliction where we are reminded that even there in the face of affliction, He alone is enough and God alone is the sustainer of my soul. Never let... Religious ordinances satisfy you, because they won't. But let your desire for God be like that of the deer panting for the water brook. Nothing else will satisfy. Without God, there is no water. There is nothing to quench the core need of your life. Without God, without a life of intimate connection with God, your soul will become dry and parched. I'm going to repeat something that most of my leaders, because most of our leaders here at the church do both services, but I want to read it, I want to repeat it anyways this morning. Spiritual leaders, singers, teachers, pastors, deacons, volunteers, listen very carefully this morning. Nothing can satisfy the soul of the very people we've been called to minister to except Jesus. Okay? So our goal is, con is to connect people to Jesus. My job this morning is somehow, some way, to truly get you connected to Jesus, to see Him for who He is, to long for Him. And here's the reality that's hard. It's hard. I can't bring him here physically so you can see him physically. I can't literally take your hand and put it in his hand. You want to know what's a whole lot easier than connecting you to Jesus? Preaching a good sermon. Singing good songs. It's a lot easier for our band to practice and put together a really good set that's nice and tight than it is for them to connect you to Jesus. It's a lot easier for us to get all the, the things put in place so that you have a good experience this morning than it is for us to connect you to Jesus. But make no mistake about it, and I'll say it again, listen to me leaders. We are doing nothing for the kingdom of God. If we are not connecting people to Jesus, 
And that is a spiritual work that requires a real sense of spiritual dependency upon God to do what we cannot. So I thank God for like what Chris was talking about, those that come up and pray on Saturday nights at 8 o'clock. Because you know what it does? Number one, it demonstrates to God, God, we need your help with this and we can't do this on our own. It demonstrates a sense of humble honesty that no matter how good our songs are, no matter how good our preaching is, no matter how good our kids' programs work, no matter how nice your experience is this morning, if God does not show up and supernaturally reveal himself to people, and if people's hearts do not long for God, and people do not understand that their hearts are longing for God, there will be no real spiritual change. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 38. On the last day of the feast, and I want you to pay attention to those words because I'm going to come back to them. The last day of the feast, that great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So I want to go to those words on the last day of the feast. So this feast, notice it said last day of the feast. This is a feast that basically took up a whole week. And it was in a very important religious week of worship for the Jewish people. That's why Jesus was there. The feast was a good thing instituted by God himself. But pay close attention. They've been feasting all week long. The feast is now over. People are getting ready to go home. And Jesus steps up and says, you still thirsty? Who's still hungry? There's a really, really, really important lesson here. I cannot overstate it. All the religious activity in the world will never satisfy the longing of your soul for the living God. Jesus says, who's still thirsty? The reality is they all were. And they knew it. Number two. Jesus says, come to me. If anyone thirsts, he says, let them come to me. There is nobody that will ever satisfy the longing of your soul but Jesus Christ. Nobody. There is nowhere else that this can happen. It is in Him and in Him alone. And I want you to notice it's an invitation. There is this conscious effort on our part where we must come to Jesus. I must choose To quit looking to the empty cisterns of the world to satisfy the longing of my soul. And I must turn from all of that, repent of all of that, and come to Jesus and look to Him and Him alone to satisfy the longing of my soul. And number three, I want you to see just how far superior God is to everything else. Jesus says, come to me and drink, and then here was the promise, out of his heart will flow, and I quote, rivers of living water. 
Jesus says, so an entire week of religious, religious ceremonies and feasting, and you're still thirsty? Well, come to me, and I'll quench that thirst. But note, he says, not only will I quench the thirst, it's not just that you won't be thirsty. May the Holy Spirit help us to see this this morning. It's not just that you won't be thirsty, but that you will be so satisfied and so filled with living water that it will overflow out of you. But it won't just overflow out of you. It will overflow out of you like rivers of living water. God is so far superior at satisfying our soul that there is nothing else that can even compare to it. Jesus says you really get a hold of this and you really let God be the one that's satisfying your soul and you go to him and him alone, you'll find it's like rivers of living water flowing out of who you are. The third thing I want you to see this morning, the third similarity to the deer panting for the water is that true thirst is visible. It's visible to you, it's visible to God, and it is visible to everyone else. The deer pants. For what? Water. We all know that. The psalmist chooses a panting deer because he assumes everybody's going to be familiar with that imagery. He's like, you know what a deer panting for water looks like. You know what a deer panting for water looks like. You know what a deer panting for water looks like. You know, we understand. It is visible. That's why I said I'm absolutely convinced all of the factors that could make a deer pant for water, I think that's the imagery that we're supposed to have. It's like from every pore of its being, it is panting for water. It knows it must have water or die. And so it is when we truly understand that the Lord alone is the only one that can satisfy the longing of my soul. I want to say it this way. Don't think that you've grabbed a hold of this truth that you're truly longing for God if the people in your life can't even see it. I'll tell you, the man who truly longs for God, the woman who truly longs for God, their, their children will be able to see it. It'll be evidenced in their children. Their children will know, my mommy, my daddy, they long for God. It'll be evidenced in the way you talk. It'll be evidenced in the way you live your life. It'll be evidenced in your commitment to reading the Word of God so that you might know Him more. It'll be evidenced in your prayer life. And I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. We can't truly claim that we've grabbed a hold of the same truth that the psalmist has. While it is true, that's what our hearts long for. He was conscious of what his heart longed for. You can't really claim that you've become conscious of what your heart longs for and that you long for the living God if there is no evidence for the rest of the world to see. It'll show up in everything. You see the deer panting for the water brook and you know that thing needs water. We all know it. 
So it is with a man or woman of God who's really come to grips with nothing will ever satisfy this soul of mine but Christ and Christ alone. It is evident there are so many who can say without any hesitation, I need something. But they do not know what they need. But can you say this morning with absolute single-mindedness, the only thing I need is the living God. I do not long for that which others are fascinated with. I do not crave what others are ambitious for. But I hunger and I thirst for my God and for my God alone. Lord, let me serve you. Let me forever be satisfied in you. God, whatever it takes, let me know you more. Can you truly say in sincerity, God, if affliction would help me to know you more, then give me affliction. God, if poverty would bring me to know you in a deeper capacity, then God, give me poverty. But whatever it takes, God, do anything you must that I might know you more. Because I recognize that you and you alone are the only one that can ever satisfy the longings of my soul. Let others ask for lesser things. But God, whatever it is, I must have you. We must see the intensity of the desire. The panting of a thirsty deer that knows it must find water or die is a terrible thing to see. There must be an intensity of desire. The Christian must come to see that it is not a luxury to walk with God. It is not a luxury of the super spiritual. You will find... There is almost no true meaning in your Christian life until you learn to walk with God. Many Christians are afraid to say it. I'll go ahead and ask our worship team if you guys would come. I'm about done this morning. Many Christians are afraid to say it. But they'll tell you they've been a Christian for many years. They'll tell you, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. I believe that He died on a cross. I believe that He rose from the dead. I believe that the Bible is true. But if you ask them and, they're, and, and they'll be honest with you, here's what they will say. I believe all of those things. But my Christianity has truly never been satisfying to me. It's not enjoyable to me. In some ways, it's a burden. Like, I know I should do it because it's right I know I should go to church because it's right. I know I should participate to some degree because it's right. But if you're honest, deep in the depth of your soul, you find it unsatisfying. And Christians, by the millions, are still looking to satisfy the longing of their soul everywhere else. They're chasing other pursuits and other things. And there's this constant sense deep within inside them that life still does not have meaning. If that's you, 
Listen to me, Christian. You must come out of the shallows of Christianity. And you must realize Jesus did not die and shed his blood so that you could go to church. He did not die so that you could tithe. He did not die so that you could go over on missions. He did not die so that you could serve as a volunteer in children's church. He did not die so that you could show up and sing songs here. He died so that you could know the living God. And nothing short of that will ever satisfy the longings of your soul. And until your Christianity truly becomes about this awesome, unspeakable reality that you can know God, your soul will never be satisfied. And you'll say with the rest of them, I tried church, didn't work. I want to close with this story. It is a true tale. Here's what I mean by that. We don't actually know if it's true or not, but it's been told literally for hundreds of years. And many believe the story's true just because of how frequently it's been told. But I heard the story first by a guy named Watchman Nee. And it's a story about a missionary in India. And this missionary in India had a disciple that would follow him around and was learning to become a minister. And one day the disciple says to his, his teacher, his mentor, he says, can I just confess something? Like, I believe in what we're doing. I've devoted my life to it, but there is a certain relationship you seem to have with God that I don't understand. There is a degree of certainty when you speak about God that I know I just haven't crossed into that realm yet. There's a certain degree of closeness you have with God that I, I want, but I don't know how to get it. And I just wish I knew how to get what you have. And this teacher said, well, I'll show you how to get it. He said, come with me. And they came down to a river that flowed through the area that they're at. And he said, I want you to come with me into the water. And they wade out into this river. And they get just deep enough that it's, you know, you're not really swimming because it's a river. But, but about neck high. And this mentor takes his disciple at that place and puts his hands on his shoulders and trips him and throws him down into the water and holds him under. Holds him under long enough that he's flailing and sincerely concerned that he might die. To where it becomes an actual fight to get the mentor's hands off of him so that he can get up and get air. And at the point when the mentor real, was just, you know, realized we're done here, he lets the guy up. The disciple comes up out of the water, gasps for air, and they come back up on the, on the shore. And the story goes that the disciple asks, not even like angry, but the disciple just says, what does this have to do with me finding God? 
And the mentor said, when you were held underwater towards the end, what's the only thing you could think about? And the disciple said, I had to get air or I was going to die. He said, when you truly long for God with the same intensity that you were longing for air, you'll find what I found. This morning, what about you? What's your faith like? Why are you here? Because it's the right thing to do? Like you know it's the right thing to do, but really your heart's somewhere else. You wish you didn't even have to be here. You wish it was possible to be right with God without even have to come to church. This morning, are you truly satisfied? Listen, whether you know it or not, we all long for one thing. Because we were created by God and for God. You will never, ever, ever, ever satisfy the longing of your soul till you recognize there's only one that can satisfy it, and that is the living God. This morning, if you're here and you are not truly saved, I plead with you, come to Jesus this morning. I plead with you, turn to Jesus this morning. This morning, if you're here and you're one of the Christians that fall guilty with the rest of the multitudes, yes, you're saved, but you're still chasing the cisterns of this world to truly satisfy you, and it's never enough. And God is calling you deeper. He's saying, enough, get out of the shallows. Fall in love with me. Fall in love with the living God. Come after me. Search for me. This morning, if that's you, I plead with you, Christian, join me in recommitting your life to falling in love with God all over again and chasing after Him and searching for Him because you will never be satisfied by any other than the living God.